This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. From the Podglomerate, you're listening to The Feast. I'm Dr. Laura Carlson. I'm a food historian and writer, and I'm bringing you the great meals that made history. If this is your first time listening to The Feast, welcome. We hope you enjoy. And if you have a chance, can we ask a quick favor? Tell your friends about us. Maybe even write a review on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcast app is. It really helps. Trust us. And now, enough of housekeeping. On to today's episode. Have you ever counted how many cooking gadgets you have? I don't mean wooden spoons or spatulas. I mean electrical gadgets. You've got the big three, probably. Your oven, your stove, and your fridge. But beyond that, kitchens are appliance havens these days, probably rivaling any other room in a house or apartment for stuff to plug into an electrical socket. Think about it. Look into a standard North American kitchen and consider how much plugs into the wall. Refrigerators, dishwashers, perhaps your stove and oven if you're not cooking with gas. And even if you are, think of everything else that you either have sitting on your kitchen counter or tucked away in a cabinet or drawer. There's the toaster, the coffee machine, maybe even a coffee grinder if you're into your caffeine habit. There are also microwaves, toaster ovens, stand mixers, hand mixers, slow cookers, pressure cookers, rice cookers, yogurt makers, bread machines, electric kettles, hot plates, electric grills, you know, like the George Foreman, those newfangled instant pots people are obsessed with, standing blenders, and immersion blenders. And if I put my mind to it, I could probably name you a few more. Most modern kitchens positively hum with electricity. For most of us, the kitchen gadgets or appliances we use on a daily basis don't seem super groundbreaking. Sure, the Keurig or K-Cup revolution brought a new immediacy to how quickly we could get our coffee in the morning. The Instant Pot is the latest in a long line of pressure cooker technology. But I don't wake up in the morning and think how truly revolutionary my toaster is. It toasts. It's not exactly like watching a moon landing. But here's the thing. These small electrical kitchen devices, from the George Foreman down to my little two-slice toaster, were revolutionary, and not too long ago. Go back 100 years, and your average home probably won't have any of those items that we talked about. No bread machine, no yogurt maker, maybe even no toaster. Depending on where you went, the home might not even be wired for electricity yet. Even though old Benjamin Franklin was messing around with a key in a lightning storm back in the 1750s, it took more than another century and a half for the average person to see or even use an electrical appliance, let alone on a daily basis. Let me throw some dates your way. 
It was almost a century after Ben Franklin when the English physicist Michael Faraday harnessed the power of electricity by developing the first electric motor in 1837. And it took almost another 40 years after that for Thomas Edison to develop the incandescent light bulb in 1879. Then, of course, there's Nikola Tesla and his work with alternating current, also known as AC current. He was working mostly in the 1880s and 1890s. But even in the United States, the home of Edison and the adopted home of Tesla, fewer than 10% of all homes were wired for electricity by the year 1900, and most of these were in densely populated urban areas. But all that was about to change. Electricity in American homes shot up, from 10% in 1900 to more than 70% by the mid-1930s bringing not only the light bulb to the average American home, but the electric oven, stove, dishwasher, toaster, coffee pot. Well, you get the idea. But by the 1930s, electric ovens as a technology were already over 50 years old. Just like today's ideal smart home, when your fridge can tell you when you're out of eggs, or where a countertop can give you the best recipe for fettuccine alfredo, the potential of an all-electric kitchen was already firmly planted in the minds of many, largely thanks to one woman whom history has unfortunately forgotten. One Miss Helen Louise Johnson. Today, we're giving Miss Johnson her due. How she was responsible for revolutionizing the 20th century kitchen. A kitchen that provided safer, cleaner, cheaper and healthier meals, all thanks to electricity. Miss Helen Louise Johnson confidently climbed the stairs to the stage, walking briskly over to the large demonstration kitchen prepared for her. Here at the Brooklyn Institute of Arts and Sciences, on a chilly day in early January of 1900, the lecture hall was packed. A crowd of women, and even a few men, from throughout the five boroughs had come out to see the young woman who had dazzled at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. At barely 30 years old, Helen was already being hailed as a vanguard in the new field of domestic science. A graduate of the famous and highly respectable Philadelphia Cooking School, Helen had been giving lectures all over the country, advancing the cause of the latest, and in her mind, greatest technology that would revolutionize the culinary industry in the 20th century. Electricity. Now, by 1900, electricity was nothing new for your average city dweller. Electric streetlights had been illuminating cities like New York or Washington, D.C. for almost 20 years now. Electric trolleys and railways carried passengers throughout cities like Richmond, Virginia, or Ottawa up in Canada. Every day, new electric inventions debuted on the market, from electric cigarette lighters to curling irons. And Helen had seen the promise of electricity from the very beginning. While her colleagues from the Philadelphia Ladies' Magazine, Table Talk, 
We're still answering questions on how to select a proper servant, or how to best manage a coal fire. Helen had set her eyes on the future. A future filled with wires. When homemakers would no longer be servants to their own kitchens. Bent over stoking oven fires, or on their hands and knees cleaning up the inevitable ash their giant cast-iron stoves burped forth with every dish that was made. Electricity could put the science into domestic science. Women would now be the engineers of their home, trained in the wires, outlets, and mysterious currents that would be the lifeblood of the 20th century kitchen. So when the newly formed American Electric Heating Corporation had written to Helen at Table Talk early in 1893, asking if she might be willing to write about some of their latest electrical inventions... She had been more than willing. Soon men were delivering box after box of electrified gadgets to her door. From electric tea kettles, to electric coffee pots, to a fully working electrical oven. Now compared to the giant heavy black stoves that one usually found in a Victorian home, whether they were wood, coal, or even gas-powered, they often weighed over a ton each. In contrast, the electrical oven Helen received from American Electric was barely bigger than a steamer trunk. After a little digging, Helen discovered that the company hadn't been responsible for most of the inventions they had sent her. They had simply bought the patents from one Thomas Ahern, a Canadian inventor and businessman, already famous for giving the city of Ottawa an electric tram service back in 1891. Now, Ahern was a man who had never met a problem he couldn't solve. When he had brought the plans for an electric tram to the city in the early 1890s, the city councillors were interested, but highly cautious. Sure, they agreed it was a great novelty, but how would these trains get through the notoriously harsh winters of the Canadian North? Horse-drawn buses and carriages could make their way easily on sleds. How would Ahern keep his electric rails clear? Ahern admitted they had a point, but soon reappeared before the city government with a plan for each train to contain its own automated snow sweeper. Electric, of course. After this, the city knew there was no stopping Mr. Thomas Ahern. Ahern quickly patented his train design, including his snow sweepers, as well as a specially designed electrical furnace to keep train riders nice and warm in the winter. Ahern was a problem-solving kind of inventor, but also a crafty one. When his trains heaters weren't needed during the hot summer months, Ahern found them another use, as electric ovens. To the delight and amazement of the city, Ahern held an all-electric banquet in August of 1892 at the downtown Windsor Hotel in Ottawa. Guests traveled by electric train, naturally, to the hotel, where they enjoyed a sumptuous meal of Saginaw trout, sugar-cured ham, stuffed loin of veal, and apple souffle. With full bellies, the diners assumed the stunt was done. That's when Ahern revealed a dramatic surprise. Taking his guests to the electric train yard to show how his electric heaters, beyond simply warming up chilly train riders in the winter, could do double service. His electric heaters had been responsible for cooking the entire 
meal. Ahern's stunt had attracted the notice of the fledgling American Electric Heating Company. Train heaters were all well and good, but they weren't exactly something the average consumer was interested in purchasing. But ovens. Every home in North America needed an oven. And that's where Helen Louise Johnson came in. In the June 1893 edition of Table Talk, backed by images of Ahern's inventions redesigned for the home, Helen praised the future and potential of electricity. Wonders have crowded upon this 19th century. One would not have to be very old to remember the first telephone. The stories of electricity in the household, if practically realized, will do more than all the dreams of cooperative kitchens in solving the problem of housework. Every bit of cooking done in the Minnesota clubhouse is done by electricity, and the fastidious members declare that they never before knew the joys of perfectly broiled steaks and chops. The electrical ovens are marvels of neatness and convenience, yet most simple. Helen's article recommending electrical cooking in June of 1893 made her the unofficial spokeswoman of the domestic electricity revolution. And it was just in time, too. The first all-electric World's Fair, Chicago's Columbian Exposition of 1893, had just opened barely a month before Helen's article debuted. For her and for electricity, it was a match made in heaven. On May 1, 1893, U.S. President Grover Cleveland opened the Chicago World's Fair with an electrifying flourish, pushing a button to illuminate 100,000 incandescent lights over the fairgrounds of Chicago, a feat achieved by Tesla's cost-efficient alternating current bulbs, bought and paid for by U.S. businessman George Westinghouse. Westinghouse had won the bid to electrify the fair, underbidding the young but powerful General Electric Company by half a million dollars. The feat had almost bankrupted Westinghouse, but the PR it brought him and AC Current was priceless. To see so many glowing bulbs at once was irresistible. Visitors to the fair fell over themselves to ride the great Ferris wheel the first of its kind, designed by one George W. Ferris, itself bedecked in 3,000 light bulbs, which twinkled over the fairgrounds as it hoisted riders far above the exhibition halls and tents below. Electricity was everywhere at the fair, but centered in the great electrical exhibition hall, where a proud statue of Benjamin Franklin greeted visitors at the entrance to a world powered by currents and wires. There, visitors could see electricity at work in almost every industry imaginable. There were electric motors powering little electric railways and trams, full-sized electric locomotives. There were electrified printing presses, elevators, electric welding equipment, fire alarms, clocks, switchboards, even electrical surgical equipment. Everything that could possibly be powered by current. And there, in a booth by the North Gallery, was also Miss Helen Louise Johnson, demonstrating the power of electricity in the kitchen. 
Not a month after her June article was published, Helen found herself on a train to Chicago, invited by electrical companies to show off the power of electrical cooking in person to the paying fairgoer. Tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. Newspapers from around the country advertised her electrical cooking exhibitions. One reporter from the New Orleans Times Democrat, clearly dubious on the whole escapade, described Helen's electrical oven as resembling nothing so much as a, quote, morning coffin for a large poodle. But even the reporter admitted the advantages were clear. No more shoveling coal or wood to keep the oven hot. Helen's 19th century electrical oven already came furnished with not only a temperature gauge, but a glass door and interior light so you could check how your roast or your cookies or your pie was coming along. Giving birth to the oven squat cooks the world over would become intimately familiar with over the next century. Helen gave demonstrations multiple times a day. In the morning, she would show off a four-minute steak broiled to perfection using electricity. In the next, she would show the advantages an electrical oven had in baking bread, providing consistent and even heat to ensure a proper rise. And even after the fair ended, Helen Johnson continued preaching the gospel of electricity in fairs and conventions around the country. The very next year, she appeared to crowds of 4,000 at New York's Pure Food Exposition in 1894 to give practical demonstrations of roasting chicken or making griddle cakes by current. By the time of her demonstration in 1900 at the Brooklyn Institute for Arts and Sciences, Helen's was a name to know. Her continued work at Table Talk, not to mention her continued lectures and demonstrations, had made her synonymous with electrical cooking. The dawn of the 20th century had also seen a new emphasis on the science of homemaking and the culinary arts, arguing for its place as a serious discipline along any other offered at public schools and universities. In 1897, the Women's Suffrage Association even had made home economics its theme at its national conference. Homemakers could now be fully trained scientists, grounded in things like anatomy, chemistry, physiology, hygiene, and of course, increasingly, the fundamentals of electricity. New schools of domestic science were opening all over the country, often including several courses on the nature and use of electricity in the home. But the question remained for many whether electricity would ever gain a firm hold in the kitchen. In reality, electrical ovens barely competed in terms of popularity with wood or coal ovens, let alone the recently introduced gas ovens. 
Even where homes had been wired for electricity, as in New York, Toronto, or Washington, there were growing worries over the cost to run such large appliances. Electrical companies instead took to diversifying their options, offering smaller and cheaper items like coffee pots, tea kettles, and toasters. These items became the new convenience appliances of the early 20th century, promising buyers a new way to save time and avoid hassle. Electricity promised such a comparably easy, fast, and clean way to heat items that many companies took to advertising them either as tabletop wonders, a way to impress visiting guests, or for the simple, unmarried lifestyle. An early 20th century pamphlet from the Toronto Electric Lighting Corporation ran the following advertisement for an electric chafing dish, basically a large heatable pot. The electric chafing dish is ready at a moment's notice. Nothing to fill and nothing to spill. You will never know how really necessary the electric chafing dish is until you have tried one. No student's room or bachelor girl's apartment is complete without one. But worries about pricing remained. Advertisements for electrical appliances took to including not only the base price, but also the average cost of running the item. So the cost of that little electric chafing dish? $15. In today's currency, that would run you about $350. And given that you can still buy a hot plate for around 50 bucks, I imagine that chafing dish would have been found only in the most luxurious of student rooms. The Toronto company then added this little number below the base price. Cost of current to prepare a rare bit sufficient for six persons. One and a half cents. Mysteriously, prices to run these electrical items always are measured in rare bits. Apparently, the early 20th century really had a thing for melted cheese. Although the majority of homes in North America weren't even wired by the first decade of the century, dreams remained about the potential wonders electricity could do for the modern home. Demonstrations on electrical cooking continued to wow audiences 10 years after the Chicago's World's Fair. A reporter from the Boston Globe visiting the St. Louis Fair in 1904 marveled at an electrical demonstration which he described whimsically as girls cooking with lightning. In 1907, a newspaper article envisioned a home 100 years into the future, in 2007. Beyond some stunningly accurate predictions, including an early version of television as well as video feeds of the front door, This was a home run entirely on electricity. From the electric vacuum and washing machine to fully electric kitchens with ovens, toasters, and coffee makers, all running on switches and buttons. And even in 1907, some wealthy and entrepreneurial types were already making these visions into a reality. A home in Schenectady, New York, featured not only an electric oven, but an entirely pre-programmed kitchen table, that allowed someone to flick a switch in their bedroom and arrive downstairs at the kitchen to already boiling water, cooked cereal and eggs, with bacon frying in the skillet. But these futuristic homes were a drop in the electrical bucket compared to the vast majority of homes that either were unwired or had yet to commit to electrical appliances. The Sears and Roebuck catalog, the IKEA of its day in home furnishings, didn't even include electrical ovens in its 1917 edition. Washing machines were the largest electrical appliance to be featured. But times were changing. 
If only one in seven homes had electricity in America in 1900, seven out of ten had it by 1930. And with the birth of the radio and film industry, companies like General Electric went on the offensive in promoting electrical ovens and stoves to the average consumer. modern kitchen designed by the General Electric Institute and built around the most perfect cooking device ever invented, the GE range with its high-speed cow rod unit which has added speed to the incomparable quality of electric cookery. Cooking is truly automatic. The electric timer starts your oven so that your roast will be all ready when you return from an afternoon away from the kitchen. And the temperature control guarantees your oven temperature will stay right where you set it and give you perfect results every time. Six o'clock, back from the shopping trip and dinner is all ready to serve. Oh, just wait till hubby tastes the tender, juicy roast in that oven. For electric cookery seals in the precious vitamins and minerals which you paid for at the store. Even though over 40 years had passed, advertisements for electrical stoves and ovens had changed surprisingly little since Helen Louise Johnson had preached the power of electricity in 1893. Electrical ovens were prized for their simplicity and cleanliness, not to mention their supposed power to lock in flavor and nutrients, much more somehow than either gas or the old-fashioned wood or coal ovens. But the almighty lure of the labor-saving device had only increased since 1900. General Electric advertised electricity as the ultimate way to ease a housewife's burden. Electrical devices were the new servant for the American home, eliminating the need for hired help. In the mid-1930s, General Electric even got Betty Davis on the job, featuring her in a number of filmed advertisements showing the ease of their advanced electric washing machine. The ad shows Betty cleaning up after a dinner party, showing off her time-saving dishwashing machine to her friend. You watch me and see how easy it is. Certainly is a wonderful time and labor saver. Washes, rinses, and polishes the dishes and silverware. Eight dishes at a time. It's automatic and self-cleaning, too. I guess I'd better scrape these and have eggs on them. Oh, no, you needn't bother. This water takes care of that. Well, I'll have to see that with my own eyes. Well, you wait a minute and I'll give you the proof. But you can't wash the pots and pans, too, can you? Surely. The control heat of the automatic range never burns the food in the pan, so the outside is as clean as a dish. Well, it certainly is a marvelous time saver. Yes, isn't it? If I had to wash dishes three times a day, for a year, let's see. It will take me um, 48 hour working days to accomplish it. Heaven. <laughs> it's quite the commercial. We'll put the whole thing up on our website if you want to watch it all. Betty even gets a nod to the clean electric range in on top of everything. Yet critics have pointed out these new labor saving electrical appliances may have actually increased the housewife's burden, not lessened it. Yes, an electrical vacuum was far easier to use on rugs than taking them outside and beating the dust from them. But the older method was far more likely to be a communal one, one that the whole family participated in, husbands, wives, sons, and daughters helping to drag the rugs outside, and perhaps really only doing it a few times a year. With the new electrical vacuum, it was a one-person job, and usually the wife's and one that increasingly was expected to be a weekly, if not daily, chore.
The final push towards electrifying America happened in 1936 with the Rural Electrification Act, a New Deal legislation that brought electricity to rural farms and homes. As its consumer base widened, electrical companies could find ever-increasing ways to advertise electrical appliances to Americans, from electric Christmas tree lights to toy electric trains. And by the 1940s and 50s, electrical kitchen appliances had gone from practically non-existent to commonplace in the American home, from the toaster and coffee percolator to larger devices like the KitchenAid electric stand mixer, which had been around since 1919 and remains the most popular item on wedding registry lists even today. Electric food processors, blenders, and toaster ovens soon followed. And the electric oven status in American cooking was cemented when Julia Child herself used an electric wall oven on her cooking show in the 1960s. Now, while she later revealed her preference for her old gas range, millions of Americans watched Julia cook with lightning every week on their electrical television sets. And what about Miss Helen Louise Johnson? After her nationwide lecture circuit, Helen continued advancing the science of home economics for the next several decades. She received a Bachelor's of Science from Columbia University in 1904 and taught home economics at Rhode Island State College, the University of Illinois, and UC Berkeley. During World War I, she was the national chairwoman of the verbosely named Home Economics Committee of the General Federation of Women's Clubs, as well as its Director of War Service. When she died in 1926, Helen Louise Johnson had seen the revolution she had preached about in the 1890s come to fruition. By the time of her death, over 70% of American homes had electricity, a figure growing almost daily. She had seen the birth of General Electric, of KitchenAid, and the invention of the electric iron, tea kettle, and toaster. The electric oven, barely a novel curiosity in 1893, was now an increasingly common feature in the American home. Everyone, it seemed, was cooking with lightning. This episode of The Feast was written and produced by me, Laura Carlson. Technical direction by Mike Port, who is still wondering why we didn't make any rare bit for this episode. Good question. If you'd like to find out more about Helen Louise Johnson and the rise of the electric oven, we've put a whole slew of resources on our website at www.thefeastpodcast.org. You can find newspaper clippings of our cooking demonstrations, as well as early pictures of what 19th-century electrical ovens looked like. We've even thrown in some of the pictures of Thomas Ahern's electric trains in Ottawa, which remained in use until 1959. Music this week featured work by Kevin McLeod, Felipe Saro, Tim Brim, and the Victor Herbert Orchestra. As always, a huge thanks to our Patreon supporters who keep this podcast up and running. We're just putting the finishing touches on our first-ever bonus episode now, available exclusively to our monthly supporters. If you'd like to find out how to become a regular donor to the Feast, head on over to our website and check out our donate page. There you can find information about how to make a one-time or recurring contribution to the Feast. The Feast is part of the Podglomerate Network, a great collection of podcasts where you're always bound to be learning something. 
check out brand new episodes of the Plus 7 Intelligence podcast, The Sex Rap, or Writers Who Don't Write. You can find all these and more on iTunes, any good podcast app, or directly at www.thepodglomerate.com. And that's all for us this week. Make sure to check out our next episode where we're traveling back to medieval Baghdad to study one of the oldest and biggest cookbooks around. Did you know they had samosas and shawarma a thousand years ago? Me neither. All that and more next time on The Feast. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC.